0: Mark Levin, our number is 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Several big subjects today, of course. The Supreme Court, the loss of Disney World as a family-friendly place, and more. But let me begin with this. I've now done more studying about the history of Ukraine than I ever thought I would in my life. I've always studied the history of Russia and so forth, but the history of Ukraine, just Ukraine. Furthermore, the article by Vladimir Putin on, quote, the historical unity of Russians and Ukrainians that he published on July 12, 2021, and he distributed on July 12, 2021, gives you a a laser view into this man. He's not trying to recreate the Soviet Union. He is going back to the 1400s, to the 1500s. He says, Russians, Ukrainians, and Belarusians are all descendants of ancient Rus', or US, which was the largest state in Europe. Slavic and other tribes across the vast territory, from Lagoda to Novgorod and Pasav to Kiev and Chernigov, were bound together by one language, which we now refer to as Old Russian. Economic ties, the rule of the princes of the Rurik dynasty, and after the baptism of Rus', the Orthodox faith. The spiritual choice made by Saint Vladimir who was both Prince and Novgorod, and Grand Prince of Kiev, still largely determines our affinity today. The throne of Kiev held a dominant position in ancient Rus. This has been the custom since the late ninth century. The tale of bygone years captured by posterity, the worlds of Oleg and Prophet about Kiev. Let it be the mother of all Russian cities. Later, like other European states of that time, ancient Rus faced a decline of central rule on fragmentation. At the same time, both the nobility and common people preserved Russ as a common territory, as their homeland. And he goes on and on and on. The southern and western Russian lands largely became part of the Grand Duchy of Lithuania, which most significantly was referred to in historical records as the Grand Duchy of Lithuania and Russia. So Lithuania, Bosnia... Latvia, Ukraine. Most importantly, and I'm skipping around, both in the Western and Eastern Russian lands spoke the same language. Their faith was Orthodox. Up to the middle of the 15th century, the unified church government remained in place. In the Grand Duchy of Lithuania, other processes were unfolding. In the 14th century, Lithuania's ruling elite converted to Catholicism. In the 16th century, it signed the Union of Lubin with the Kingdom of Poland to form the Polish-Lithuania Commonwealth. The Polish-Catholic nobility received considerable landholdings and privileges in the territory of Rus. See, he claims Poland. In accordance with the 1596 Union of Brest, part of the Western Russian Orthodox clergy submitted to the authority of the Pope, the process of Polonization and Latinization began, ousting Orthodoxy. Got it. As a consequence, in the 16th, 17th centuries, the liberation movement of the Orthodox population was gaining strength in Dnieper region. The events during the times of Hetman Bolden Kamalensky became a turning point. His supporters struggled for autonomy from the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth. Why? Because they were Russes. That's why. That is Russians. He is claiming. In its 1649 appeal to the king of Polish-Lithuania Commonwealth, the Zaporozhean host demanded that the rights of the Russian Orthodox population be respected, that the Vovodo of Kiev be Russian and the Greek faith, and that the persecution of the churches of God be stopped, but the Cossacks were not heard. You get it? I'm moving down quick. It's a very long piece. It's nearly 6,000 words. So, obviously, he didn't pull this together himself, but he obviously believes it. But he goes on. Over the course of the protracted war between the Russian state and the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth, which he claims was always Russian, some of the Hetmans, successors of Baden and Kamensky, would detach themselves from Moscow or seek support from Sweden, Poland, or Turkey. But again, for the people, that was a war of liberation. It ended with the truce of Andrasov In 1667, the final outcome was sealed by the Treaty of Perpetual Peace in 1686. The Russian state incorporated the city of Kiev and the lands on the left bank of the the Dnieper River, including Poltava region, Genigov region, and Zaporizh. Their inhabitants were reunited with the main part of the Russian Orthodox people. These territories referred to as Molorussia or Little Russia. The name Ukraine was used more often in the meaning of the old Russian word Ukrania. Periphery. On the right bank, which remained under the Polish-Lithuania Commonwealth, the old orders were restored and social and religious oppression intensified. During the Great Northern War with Sweden, the people of Malaricia were not faced with a choice of whom to side, with only a small portion of the Cossacks supported the rebellion. And he goes on about the second half of the 18th century. How the Black Sea region really belongs to the Russians. How the Russian Empire regained the western old Russian lands with the exception of Galatia and Transcarpathia, which became part of the Austrian and later Austro-Hungarian Empire. The incorporation of the western Russian lands into the single state, he wrote, was not merely the result of political... And diplomatic decisions. It was underlain by the common faith, Shared cultural traditions. And I would like to emphasize it once again. Language similarity he says. And he goes on. About the western lands of the Russian Empire. Crimea. How Crimea was part of it. And it just keeps expanding and expanding and expanding ladies and gentlemen. This is why I say, why won't people read this article? Because if they read this article, I know it takes a little bit more time than spewing talking points. Or shibboleths. Or projecting one's own perceived ideological preferences. But I don't do that. I try to study these issues. And also, I reach down into my soul and heart and use my head to figure out what's taking place. This isn't an ideological thing for me. Why would it be? So Putin has been claiming Ukraine, Crimea, really most of Eastern Europe, quite frankly. And he makes it abundantly clear, not only in this essay, but in other statements... In other statements. Now, it's actually quite interesting. Uh, A lot has been said about Zelensky shutting down 11 uh, Ukrainian political parties the other day. Um, I make no excuses for that. I don't celebrate that. I will tell you that all of them combined got about 18% of the vote last time. So the question is, why would he do that? It's unnecessary, right? Well, part of the reason is, many of them had these strong connections to the regime in Russia. Not all, but many. Particularly the main opposition. Which has about 40 seats in an over 400 member parliament. Maybe that's one of the reasons. Apparently he also shut down a handful of newspapers. I would have liked to know about those newspapers. What are those newspapers? Folks, you need to understand that the Russians, the Wagner Group, and all the rest of it, they have been secreting themselves into that country now for decades, particularly under Putin. They've had active militia activity taking place in that country. There's been uh, sabotage, constant sabotage. And so, while we hear surface-level arguments, we don't know exactly what's going on. But there's not a country on the face of the earth that's had smooth sailing when they're trying to set up a republic or a democracy. As Ukraine has tried to do since the Soviet Union fell, and as Russia's been undermining since the Soviet Union fell, Vladimir Putin took over. None are perfect. I think we can all agree that Abraham Lincoln was, if not the greatest, certainly one of the greatest presidents in American history for many, many reasons. We wouldn't have America, but for his leadership. We wouldn't have ended slavery as we did, but for his leadership, and I can go on. And his assassination reverberated for generations in this country. But Abraham Lincoln suspended habeas corpus under the Constitution. Only Congress has the power to do that. Congress later came around and and suspended it, but he suspended it first. And I've explained this to you before. He did it because they couldn't get the Massachusetts militia down to Washington, D.C. to defend the city against the Confederacy, which had just won what would become the first battle of bull run. And there they were, across the Potomac River, a, uh, a proverbial stone's throw from the national capital. And the rioters in Baltimore, many of whom were sympathetic to the Confederacy and slavery, because Maryland was, was split, they were viciously and violently attacking the, and they way outnumbered the Massachusetts militia that was trying to reach Washington to encircle and protect it. So Lincoln ordered anybody that interfered with them locked up. And there were complaints raised. And he said, if we don't get this done, there won't be any courts to defend. There won't be any courts to hear their claims anyway. Again, I'm not a special pleader. I'm making a point. His Secretary of War, Stanton, shut down nearly 200 newspapers, some temporarily, some permanently, during the course of the war. Again, I'm not celebrating this, I'm pointing it out. Now what Zelensky has not done, has not had journalists assassinated, political opponents assassinated, people who will not provide certain huge sums of money to him and his friends and his family assassinated, or political opponents assassinated. Putin has had scores of people assassinated. Scores, And we'll see how often the Putin wing of the Republican Party, the Democrat Party, and the media speak out today and explain that his judge today, actually yesterday I guess, sentenced Alexei Navalny, the number one opposition leader against Putin. To another nine years in prison. So he'll be serving a total of 11 and a half years. On trumped up charges of corruption. Trumped up charges of corruption. He had him thrown into prison. And in a phony hearing. He was sentenced to nine and a half more years. Or nine more years. Trumped up charges of embezzlement and contempt of court yesterday. Judge Margarita Kotava announced the verdict, according to Agency France Press, the French press agency. Cordosza found him guilty of being disrespectful to the court. The sentence extension was announced shortly after the verdict, according to the Moscow Times. He had been accused of stealing several million dollars worth of donations from the anti-corruption Foundation. Prosecution in the case last week demanded that Navalny's sentence be extended to 13 years, that he be moved to a strict regime penal colony, and that he pay a fine of 1.2 million rubles, or 11,500. He is the anti-corruption activist. He had already been in prison for two and a half years at a detention center, and it goes on and on. He had been a mayoral candidate, a presidential candidate. He said his treatment was politically green-lighted by Putin's regime. Yes, of course it was. And by the way, he was poisoned a few years ago, too. He almost died. He came back to Russia to run for office against Putin. Putin denies doing that, too. I'll be right back. Mark
1: Levin.
0: Folks, I'm here to talk to you about something very serious. Have you felt something changing in our country? That too many people no longer identify themselves as Americans first, but instead group themselves by race, class, or sex? That we're losing the common idea of justice, the melting pot that unites us. I'm talking about citizenship, folks. And if we lose the idea of citizenship, then we don't have a country. But there's something you can do. Get educated and then teach others. And my friends at Hillsdale College can show you the way. Hillsdale's new free course on American citizenship will help you learn about what's happening and why. The course is taught by our friend, Dr. Victor Davis Hanson, who will equip you to help restore our country. You can sign up for free at levinforhillsdale.com. You'll learn about topics like the history of citizenship, the deep state, and even the Great Reset. Please sign up today to take Hillsdale's free course at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com, levinforhillsdale.com. There's another very important piece of scholarship, and I go through these things. Although I wouldn't call Putin's piece a piece of scholarship, I'd call it piece of BS, but that is what it is. Um, and we will link to these on MarkLevinShow.com if you want to read them yourselves. And this is a piece by a by a scholar who first wrote this in The Bulwark, and then later it was republished by Cato a few weeks back. You'll notice there's now an effort led by Putin and led by the Putin wing in this country to try and create the impression that modern-day Ukraine is anti-Semitic, that it's filled with fascists and neo-Nazis and so forth now they elected a Jewish president who comes with a Jewish family and first lady they passed a law not too long ago outlawing anti-semitism and she writes the Russia-Ukraine crisis has revived the charge that the new Ukraine far from being an embattled pro-Western seeker of liberal democracy is a haven for fascists and Nazis and is anti-democracy. You're hearing this on TV and radio as I speak. We'll delve into this a little bit, and then we'll move on to other things. Folks, I'm here to talk to you about something very serious. Have you felt something changing in our country that too many people no longer identify themselves as Americans first, but instead group themselves by race, class or sex that we're losing the common idea of justice, the melting pot that unites us? I'm talking about citizenship, folks. And if we lose the idea of citizenship, then we don't have a country. But there's something you can do, get educated and then teach others. And my friends at Hillsdale College can show you the way. Hillsdale's new free course on American citizenship will help you learn about what's happening and why. The course is taught by our friend, Dr. Victor Davis Hanson, who will equip you to help restore our country. You can sign up for free at levinforhillsdale.com. You'll learn about topics like the history of citizenship, the deep state, and even the Great Reset. Please sign up today to take Hillsdale's free course at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com, levinforhillsdale.com. This is Liberty's 911 Hotline, the Mark Levin Show. Call in now at 877
2: 381 3811.
0: So I referenced the piece. It says in part Once upon a time, the so called Ukrainian Nazis narrative was pushed mainly by the far left. In 2014, after the Your Maiden Revolution in Kiev ousted a pro Moscow government, and Russia responded by an annexing Crimea and sponsoring separatist enclaves in eastern Ukraine. It was old-school, tanky Sismis Milani in The Guardian, historian Stephen Cohen in The Nation, you saw him on Fox all the time, Max Blumenthal in Salon, and their ilk who made these charges. Fast forward to today, the most vocal peddler of this canard, anti-hawk Theokhan Sorab Amari. Amari's February 15 column in the American Conservative is ominously titled The Nazis Globalist Liberals Prefer to Ignore. Amari's charge for a cover-up of Nazis in Ukraine focuses on a minor facepalm moment. After several news reports hyping the tale of a brave Ukrainian grandma training to join the resistance against Russian invaders, it turned out that the training was being provided by Azaz regiment, a Ukrainian National Guard unit, Which started out as a volunteer militia with neo-Nazi ties. The regiment's insignia, which looked creepily like the SS lightning bolt logo, were visible on members' uniforms in some television segments about the heroic granny. There is, however, no indication that the woman, 79-year-old Valencia, uh, whatever, has any neo-Nazi sympathies. She was simply responding, like many other Ukrainians, to a call to train as a resistance volunteer. Amari insists that British and American media outlets kept silent, quote-unquote, about the neo-Nazi connection unearthed by Internet sleuths, actually by far-left journalists Mark Ames and Aaron Maté. In fact, the day before Amari's column was posted, Vice ran a piece titled, Why is this AK-47-toting Ukrainian grandma being trained by neo-Nazis? Unlike Amari, the Vice reporter Matthew Galt offers a nuanced look at the story, and notes that it illustrates the almost surreal complexities of the situation in Ukraine today. What did he say? In part, he wrote, It's true that thousands of regular citizens are seeking basic military training in Ukraine over fears of an escalation of Russian conflict in the region. It's also true that the Azov battalion is a far-right organization with avowed Nazi members and connections to Ukraine's National Guard. The conflict in Ukraine is complicated and exists at a crossroads of a dozen different ideologies and geopolitical interests. Among these paradoxes, of course, is the fact that the unit with neo-Nazi roots is fighting to defend a government currently led by a Jewish president, Vladimir Zelensky, a fact Amari doesn't mention. The tension between pro-Western liberalism and nationalism, which has its extreme and ugly far-right elements, that's why I say, folks, nationalism, populism, you need to understand this actually comes out of Marxism, fascism. We talk about Americanism, individualism, constitutionalism, patriotism. It's very much a feature of modern Ukrainian politics, like the 2004 Orange Revolution before it. The Euromaidan Mad Revolution championed Ukraine's integration into liberal democratic Europe, but also Ukraine's independence from Russia. The Your Maiden protests of late 2013 and early 2014 sparked then-president uh, Victor Yanukovych's rejection of a European Union trade deal he had earlier endorsed featured uh, occasional far-right rhetoric, concluding a shocking incident in November t- uh, 2013, which a notorious hate-monger read an anti-Semitic white supremacist poem at an open-mic event. Yet writing in February 2014... Russian-Jewish journalist and Euro-Asian-Jewish Congress board member Lechevik estimated that radical nationalists made up about 1% of the euro Maiden protesters. He also pointed out that Yomolik's stunt was widely condemned. Speakers of the euro Maiden protests included prominent Jewish figures, such as World Jewish Congress Vice President Joseph Zissel's. Anyway, he goes on to explain that what's happening here is these these events in which you have neo-Nazis here and there participating and doing their thing uh, have been used to trash the entire population, the entire government, government that's led by a Jew. And this has been the propaganda of Putin and the Russians and the left and the left. It's worth noting that despite these problems, there's no sense in which Ukraine's post-2014 government could be regarded as fascist or pro-Nazi. If Ukraine has been run by a neo-Nazi junta, as its detractors maintain, it would be the first such junta in history to give key posts to Jews, among them former Prime Minister Grossman. And to have strong support, uh, computer froze. Anyway, you get the point. If it unfreezes, I'll go on. This is a propaganda effort. Nobody excuses neo-Nazis. Well, some people actually do. Obviously, I don't. Actually, it does go on here. Let's see. Give me a second, because my uh, computer froze. Okay, here we are. Sorry, folks. It's also worth noting nothing enables far-right extremism in Ukraine more than the very real and ongoing military threat from Russia. But in any way, they say here um, that that the government has the strong support from the Jewish community in Ukraine. It's also worth noting that um, Russia itself, its ongoing military threat, gives rise to these movements. The, Oz, the, the Azov Regiment, for instance, got a lot of mileage, even before the current crisis, out of its image as an effective force against Russian-backed separatists occupying eastern Ukraine. This is all more ironic. The self-proclaimed Donetsk and Luhansk Republic, so-called, have always been a magnet for Russian ultra-nationalists and outright neo-fascists. And she goes into the history of that. Last but not least, the first Prime Minister of the Donsig People's Republic from May to August 2014 was Russian political consultant Alexander Borodai, a reputed state security officer with a long history of involvement in ultra-nationalist circles, and she points out how the Russians actually have this ultra-nationalist neo-Nazi connections. The Kremlin itself has sometimes resorted to subtler forms of Jew-baiting in its psychological warfare against Ukraine, Last October, Dmitry Medvedev, Russia's former Putin puppet president, currently deputy chairman of the Security Council, published a repulsive ad hominem tirade, arguing that negotiations with current Ukrainian government were pointless because its members, in addition to being weak, greedy, and corrupt, were damaged people without stable national and ethnic roots. The longest and nastiest portion of the article attacked Zelensky is a man with peculiar ethnic roots, who had essentially rejected his identity for political and pragmatic reasons and compared him to a Jew in Nazi Germany seeking a post in the SS. I'm telling you this because there are people in this country who are mouthing aspects of this. So again, I want to point out, as I said yesterday, which I think is crucially important, there's a difference between people who say, this is not in our national interest. And then they give their reasons why, which I find utterly unpersuasive, but that's okay. They're coming at it from a a moral and value and principle-based position. But then there are people who go further, who actually are surrogates, mouthpieces, propagandists, Tokyo Roses, if you will, for the regime in Russia, as they've been mouthpieces, Tokyo Roses, if you will, for the regime in Iran. When Soleimani was taken out, they thought that was provocative. So there are different kinds of detractors or people raising their voices. Nobody's shutting down any of them. That's the other thing you hear. I don't, nobody wants me to speak. Nobody can speak. You can say all you want. Some people have small platforms. Some people have massive platforms. You would use whatever platform you want and say whatever you wish. Nobody's stopping anybody. That said, the truth needs to get out. Syrian dictator Assad calls Zelensky a Zionist Jew who supports the Nazis. So he is a wholly owned subsidiary of Putin's. I just read to you in part a piece you should read on your own that will be posted at marklevinshow.com as soon as the program's over that gets into the history of this effort against the Ukrainians, particularly in the last 20 years. And then you have, here you have one of the greatest mass murderers ever Assad mass murder using exactly the language that the Russians are using against the Ukrainians and Zelensky and others that he supports the Nazis a Zionist Jew who supports the Nazis this is from uh, Algeminer Syrian dictator Bashar al-Assad went on a ferocious anti Ukrainian anti-Semitic rant last week did you see this anywhere? Did you hear this anywhere? No, you didn't. Did you hear it or see it on cable? In the New York Times, in the Washington Post, at Media Matters or Mediite? Syrian dictator Bashar Assad falsely claimed Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky is a Zionist Jew who supports the Nazis that killed the Jews. In a speech on Syrian Teacher's Day, translated by Memre, which is a fantastic group, Assad claimed, the West has proven it does not have friends or enemies, it has only one enemy. Anyone who stands in the way of its material interests. Sounds a lot like so-called nationalists and populists in our own country. Communism, Islam, Nazism, China, Russia, or anyone else, are not the enemies of the West, he proclaimed. If they serve the interests of the West, they are friends. In other words... They have zero principles, he said. The ugliest truth of them all, and not many people know this, is the lie, this is him, that the West and Zionism oppose Nazism. Not many people know that the leaders of the Nazis in Ukraine, Nazi organizations that closely collaborated with Hitler in terms of security, military, and ideology, were driven out of Ukraine at the end of World War II, some of them to Europe, some of them to America. In the 50s, the CIA asked the American administration to lift the ban on these Nazi groups because America needed them in Ukraine, which was part of the USSR. You see how the conspiracy and the lies are pushed? What proves these historical facts today, he says, is that Zelensky is a Zionist Jew, yet he supports the extremist national organization that fought alongside the Nazis in World War II when Hitler invaded the USSR. And some of them took part in the massacres committed against the Jews, he claimed. Zelensky has done none of this. So how come that Zionist Jew is supporting these organizations? The West supports these organizations, which today are called the right Wing, Azov organization. I just mentioned that to you. About the group. And Zionist Israel, which keeps crying about the victims of the Holocaust, supports a leader that supports the Nazis that killed the Jews. This proves that the West is lying in everything that it is saying, and it does not care about anything except ruling the world, plundering resources, and filling its coffers. Of course, Assad's claims are not supported by historical evidence. The U.S. fought and helped destroy Nazism in World War II, and the Jews were the Nazis' primary victims. The dictator also wildly exaggerates the CIA's use of former Nazis something also practiced by the Soviet KGB. The Azov Battalion is a far-right neo-Nazi Ukrainian militia. It did not exist during the Nazi era and was founded in 2014. Zelensky has never expressed support for Nazism and has repeatedly compared the Russian invasion of Ukraine to the actions of the Hitler regime during World War II. And in fact, in September they passed a law outlawing anti-Semitism. Now that would be a good thing. That would be a good thing here, I think, because of the elements of the Democrat Party that are anti-Semitic. The Stooges, what do they call themselves, Mr. Producer? The Squad. Yes. Nationalism, populism, which is mobocracy, Marxism, fascism have way too much in common for me. Conservatism, constitutionalism, Americanism. That's who we are. I hope I'm not throwing too much at you at once. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Folks, I'm here to talk to you about something very serious. Have you felt something changing in our country that too many people no longer identify themselves as Americans first, but instead group themselves by race, class or sex that we're losing the common idea of justice, the melting pot that unites us? I'm talking about citizenship, folks. And if we lose the idea of citizenship, then we don't have a country. But there's something you can do. Get educated and then teach others. And my friends at Hillsdale College can show you the way. Hillsdale's new free course on American citizenship will help you learn about what's happening and why. The course is taught by our friend, Dr. Victor Davis Hanson, who will equip you to help restore our country. You can sign up for free at levinforhillsdale.com. You'll learn about topics like the history of citizenship, the deep state, and even the Great Reset. Please sign up today to take Hillsdale's free course at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale dot com. You know, folks, it's a lot safer if you're on the other side of this argument. Don't you think, Mr. Reducer? That's a perfect example. Putin has a long arm of assassins. Zelensky doesn't. Zelensky doesn't. Putin does. don't think it hasn't crossed my mind. It does. But i got to be who I am. I have to say what I believe. Here we are, this administration once again, with the surrogate mouthpieces in the media and the Putin wing of this and that that there are fears that Putin may act, you know, may lash out if he thinks his back is against the wall. Now, I talked about this the other day. But notice we're always acting as if, as if we're weak. Here's what amazes me. Rather than announcing, as Biden does, that that Putin might in fact unleash a cyber attack against us, why not deal with it quietly? Pick up the phone and warn the thug and pull together our top resources in the government and throughout our country, universities and even these these various uh, game, gamer entities and prepare. And prepare, rather than Oh, Putin might do this and Putin might do that. Well, he might. That can be in the calculus, of course. But that doesn't create deterrence. That creates provocation. That Russia's planning cyber attacks against the United States. It's incredible. Prepare for this cyber battle. We won't launch the first attack, but he might. Talk less. In other words, shut your mouth and act quietly. But act, and act more. Whether it's diplomatically or otherwise. We don't have to be victims. We don't have to roll over and play dead. Or roll into a fetal position. We have massive capabilities. Massive capabilities. Let's see how many people have reported on the fact that our U.S. Embassy says that 2,400 children... 2,400 Ukrainian children have been abducted and taken to Russia. Eyewitnesses. 2,400 Ukrainian children have been abducted and taken into Russia. Who's the Nazi now? Is that what Ukraine is doing to the Russians? I'll be right back. One, one, just to round things out and then to move along. Pew Research did a a very, very expansive uh, examination a few days back where the public stands on some of this. And um, let me cut to the heart of this. Roughly a third of Americans, 32 percent, say that the United States is providing about the right amount of support to Ukraine. This is last week as it fights to hold off the Russian invasion. I suspect it's worse now. A larger share 42% say the U.S. should be providing more support to Ukraine, while just 7% say it's providing too much support. About 1 in 5, 19% aren't sure. So a clear plurality of Americans believe that even more support should be given to the Ukrainians. The new Pew Research Center survey uh, among 10,441 U.S. adults finds wide partisan differences in views of the administration's handling of the crisis and the level of support the U.S. has provided to Ukraine, but virtually identical shares in both parties, 51% of Republicans and Republican-leading independents and 50% of Democrats and Democrat-leaners regard the Russian invasion as a major threat to the United States' interests, Mr. Producer. Because Americans are smart. However, there are several aspects of U.S. policy towards Russia and Ukraine that draw bipartisan support. While Republicans have previously expressed skepticism about the extent to which the U.S. should work with its allies, nearly three-quarters of Republicans, 73%, say that working closely with allies to respond to the Russian invasion is the right approach, and even larger share Democrats, 85%, say the same. So when you hear people out there saying things like, this is the two-party, one-headed monster that are dragging this country in this direction or that, just know that a strong plurality, indeed, depending on the question, a significant majority of Americans believe that Ukraine should be helped. And a plurality believes they should get more support than they're getting. Americans also are largely united in their support for strict economic sanctions on Russia in response to the invasion of Ukraine. An overwhelming majority of the public, 85%, including similar shares of Republicans, and Democrats, 88%, favors maintaining strict economic sanctions. 6 in 10 Americans, 63%, strongly favor strict sanctions. Large majorities also favor keeping large numbers of U.S. military forces in NATO countries near Ukraine in response to the conflict, 77 percent, a position shared by 75 percent of Republicans and 81 percent of Democrats. So this idea that the public doesn't support NATO or the public doesn't support Ukraine or the public doesn't want to give aid to Ukraine is nonsense. It's just nonsense and that it's not in our national security interest that's nonsense too it's not a cabal of neocons and uh a cabal of federal contractors and a cabal of repubes and dummy crats all together colluding and conspiring against the against the pure the uh, the poor victim putin and so forth or Dragging the American people in this direction or that direction. The vast majority of you, again, depending on what questions asked support Ukraine, think we ought to give them as much aid as we can, and believe we should be working with our allies on this. This is rational. This is Reaganism. This is actually Trumpism. This is rational. That's the truth. It's utterly rational. And I think some of the cherry-picked military personnel, some of the cherry-picked guests and so forth and so on. Well, they're outliers, actually. In my view. Let's see here. Axios has done a four-part series on Putin, who he is, how he came to power. I just want to read you a little bit of this. The KGB to the Kremlin. Putin was a mid level KGB officer in Dresden, East Germany, when the Berlin Wall fell in 1989. Weeks later, in the tumult that preceded the collapse of the USSR, crowds stormed the local secret police headquarters, and Putin spent a tense night waiting for orders from Moscow that never came. He returned to Russia and became a close aide first to Sobchak in St. Petersburg and later to Yeltsin in Moscow. It was little noticed in Russia or abroad until Yeltsin appointed him director of the KGB's successor, the FSB, in 1998. A year later, he was prime minister. Four months after that, on New Year's Eve 1999, Yeltsin resigned and Putin's rise was complete. Michael McFaul, who served as U.S. ambassador to Russia under Obama, crossed paths with Putin in St. Petersburg in the 90s. Behind the scenes, former Defense Secretary Ash Carter was in several meetings with the top Russian official in the 90s. He was an assistant secretary of defense. Even Putin's critics acknowledge that he has accomplished three central objectives, building a strong Russian state, reestablishing Russia as a global power, and maintaining his own grip on power. Nonetheless, and then a couple of months of his appointment as prime minister, he became the figure on whom the last hopes of so many Russians were pinned. Behind the scenes, Daniel Freed, a diplomat with decades of experience in Russia, was on hand for the 2001 meeting in Slovenia, after which George W. Bush infamously remarked that he'd looked Putin in the eye and been able to get a good sense of his soul. That was a quote, quote, I remember when Putin approached us, his whole body language was open and positive, very much unlike the aggressive strut he has now, Freed recounts. Bottom line is Putin murdered his way to the top, bought his way to the top, and that's how he got to the top, and that's how he stays on the top. Zelensky did none of those things. So there's really no comparison between the two men, none whatsoever, in my view. All right, we're going to move along here. We had this hearing today with uh, with uh, Brown Jackson, with uh, Katanji Brown Jackson, and um, some of the things she said were utterly preposterous. She was the most radical among the candidates. And the small group of candidates that Biden looked at had to be a woman, had to be black, and I think had to be on a court. That's a small group. And here's what she said in her confirmation today about the way she approaches the Constitution. Cut two, go.
2: So if it is a statute, for example, or a provision of the Constitution, I'm looking at the text. The adherence to text is a constraint on my authority. Um, trying to figure out what those words mean uh, as they were intended by the people who wrote them.
0: Now, ladies and gentlemen, that's called originalism, which is embraced and promoted and used by justices like Clarence Thomas and Sam Alito, the late Justice Scalia, Rehnquist, Justice Gorsuch. Now, you know full well that's not what she does. But let's continue. Go ahead.
2: I'm looking at original uh, documents. I am focusing on the original public meaning because I'm constrained to interpret the text. Sometimes that's enough uh, to, to resolve the issue in terms of the merits. Judges... Also look at history and practice uh, at the time of the the, the, uh, document was created. If it's a statute, I'm looking at Congress's purposes, because, again, I am not (coughs) importing my personal views or policy preferences. The entire exercise is about trying to understand what those who created this policy or this this law intended.
0: Well, that's fascinating to me because that's not what she's done there's a piece in town hall by spencer brown judge jackson wants to meld american law with crt social justice and she's stated so this isn't some makeup judge Kantanji brown jackson has a track record not too dissimilar from any other woke academic and despite the Democrat spin that says criticism of Biden's SCOTUS nominee to replace retiring Justice Breyer that those criticisms of course are racist. They need to be looked at and one document included in SJQ remarks titled Fairness in Federal Sentencing and Examination Layout What Judge Jackson Believes and Has Sought to Impact and part, and I quote her I also try to convince my students that sentencing is just plain interesting on an intellectual level, in part because it melds together myriad types of law, criminal law, of course, but also administrative law, constitutional law, critical race theory, negotiations, and to some extent even contracts. And if that's not enough to prove to them that sentencing is a subject we're studying, I point out that sentencing policy implicates and intersects with various other intellectual disciplines as well, and she goes on. 48,000 pages of her thinking, 48,000 pages when she was at the Sentencing Commission, are being censored, or being covered up by the Democrat majority in the Senate, and Dick Durbin in particular, the chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee. They will not release them. So obviously they're very damaging to her. So Judge Jackson, he writes, who has previously served on the U.S. Sentencing Commission, and then as a judge handing down sentences herself, believes that the radical left's construction of critical race theory is to be melded with the actual law and U.S. Constitution in order to determine sentences. KBJ, so now they're going to call her KBJ, you see. Like Ruth Bader Ginsburg, RBG, as I pointed out. KBJ. A woke streak doesn't end there, though, as Judge Jackson also says in her materials, as seen in an edition of Georgetown Days magazine, if she's showing the board of Georgetown Day School, she wrote, Since becoming a part of Georgetown Day School community seven years ago, Patrick and I, her husband, I guess, witnessed the transformative power of a rigorous progressive education that is dedicated to fostering critical thinking, independence, and social justice. And just what does the Georgetown Day School's progressive education, quote-unquote, and dedication to social justice look like in practice? Well, according to their website, during the time she was a board member, a board member, it means events like the Transgender Day of Visibility that urged students to, quote, use your voice, your platform, your network to communicate your support for transgender rights. The trans community and transgender people, particularly trans youth and black trans women, or most often... And egregiously targeted. Wow. Talks about abolitionist teaching. Centering queer voices, quote unquote. Hosted by abolitionist teaching network and including Kai Gross of Woke Kindergarten. I don't even know what this is, but you get the drift, right? Makes sense that Judge Jackson, who wants to combine critical race theory with established law, would also favor progressive education that's rife with theories constituting social justice. Like many other activists on the left, their ideal future is one where social justice wars rely on concocted theories from leftist ideologues to supplant the U.S. Constitution. I don't believe a word of what she said about originalism. Not one word. That's not who she is. That's not who she's been. and That's not who she's going to be. Period. Not one word. I'll be right back. Much
1: love in
0: I've been telling you folks for a long time if you're still with Verizon eighteen your T Mobile, you're simply paying too much for wireless because Pure Talk gives you the same exact great five G coverage for a fraction of the cost. But don't take my word for it. Listen to what Christopher from Grand Forks, North Dakota has to say. Said, I used to be a Verizon customer before switching to Pure Talk, and I absolutely love it. Pure Talk has the same great service that Verizon does, and a little over half of the cost. And I got to keep my phone. Thank you for being such a great company. Folks, you should join me and make the switch. Right now, get unlimited talk, text, and six gigs of data for just $30 a month. So do this. Go to puretalk.com. Find the plan that's right for you. Then this month, enter promo code that's Levin Podcast, that's L E V I N Podcast, and you'll save an additional 50% off your first month. That's puretalk.com, promo code Levin Podcast. Okay. Katanji Brown Jackson, a confirmation. What about enumerated powers and rights? in the Constitution that must be ruled on, asks John Cornyn, Republican, Texas. Cut three, go.
3: What other unenumerated rights do you believe exist? And how could we possibly anticipate what those might be? For example, the Ninth Amendment says the enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage other rights retained by the people, which suggests to me that there are other as yet unidentified rights out there. And somehow, someday, some court is going to tell us we've identified an unenumerated right and we're going to reject the right of the American people to determine what the policies ought to be as regards that right, because we, the nine people sitting on the Supreme Court, have decided we've discovered a new unenumerated right and it shall be the law of the land and no legislature can pass any law that conflicts with it. What other unenumerated rights are out there? Or can you say?
2: Senator, I can't say. Um, it's a hypothetical that I've not, I'm not in a position to comment on um, the the rights that the Supreme court has recognized as substantive due process rights um, are established in, in, in its case law.
3: But, well, Your Honor, this is not a trick question.
2: Oh, I understand. Okay. I'm just, not, I'm just not in a position to speak. Well, she's
0: in a position to answer it this way. Substantive due process is a complete con- uh, concoction. This is the phrase they came up with, you have procedural due process under the Fifth and Fourteenth Amendments, but they created substantive due process. To put it as simply as I know how, substantive due process means that you can't have due process without some right that they decide to create at the Supreme Court. So it's not a procedural issue, it's a substantive issue. Do you see what I'm saying, Mr. Producer? So they create a substantive due process. For instance, abortion might be considered substantive due process. It has nothing to do with procedure and everything to do with a, with a decision. And what Cornyn's getting at here, which is a very good point, what he's getting at, look, you're an activist judge, we all know it, you'll get on this court, And uh, you're going to be using this phrase, substantive due process, because there's significant precedent for this on the court. It's not in the Constitution, of course, but it was made up by the court to get to where the court wanted to get. The activists on the court wanted to get. So what new enumerated powers are you going to find in the Constitution that don't exist under this notion of substantive due process? So she knew where he was heading. She brought up the phrase about substantive due process. She knows the criticism. She's not a fool. And she just decided to say, well, I'm not in a position to comment. You know, it's a hypothetical. It's a hypothetical. I'll be right back. I've been telling you folks for a long time, if you're still with Verizon, 18 to t or T-Mobile, you're simply paying too much for wireless because Pure Talk gives you the same exact great 5G coverage for a fraction of the cost. But don't take my word for it. Listen to what Christopher from Grand Forks, North Dakota, has to say. said, I used to be a Verizon customer before switching to Pure Talk, and I absolutely love it. Pure Talk has the same great service that Verizon does, and a little over half of the cost. And I got to keep my phone. Thank you for being such a great company. Folks, you should join me and make the switch. Right now, get unlimited talk, text, and six gigs of data for just $30 a month. So do this. Go to puretalk.com, find the plan that's right for you. Then this month, enter promo code Levin podcast. That's L-E-V-I-N podcast. And you'll save an additional 50% off your first month. That's puretalk.com, promo code Levin podcast.
3: Mark Levin, tough as hell.
0: That's why I like Mark Levin, and I'm not sure a lot of people like him. He's tough as hell, but I like him. I love him. Call in now, 877-381-3811. By the way, this will upset certain people. Majority of Americans believe that Putin should be taken out. Did you see that, Mr. (laughs) Reducer? I'm laughing because everyone thought I and others were of a very fringe group but it's appearing more and more that crazy asses at something called Revolver, American conservative, these other crackpot sites and writers it would appear they're the freaks, frauds and phonies, may I say with all lack of respect let's continue Kantanji Brown Jackson at her hearing today on defending Gitmo detainees defending Gitmo detainees. I want to address this specifically. Cut, seven, go.
2: After nine eleven, there were also lawyers who recognized that our nation's values were under attack, that we couldn't let the terrorists win by changing who we were fundamentally. And what that meant was that the people who were, being accused by our government of having engaged in actions related to this, under our constitutional scheme, we're entitled to representation. We're entitled to be treated fairly. That's what makes our system the best in the world. Really? That's what well, makes-
0: tell that to all the January 6th political prisoners. I didn't say violent attackers. I said the political prisoners, you know, the trespassers and the paraders. You were a judge there, a district judge, before you shortly ago became a circuit court judge. And this is very troubling to me, the way they are being treated today. Go ahead.
2: I was in the federal public defender's office. When the Supreme Court, uh, excuse me, right after the Supreme Court decided that individuals who were detained at Guantanamo Bay by the president could seek uh, review of their detention. And those cases started coming in and federal public defenders don't get to pick their clients. They have to represent uh, whoever comes in, and it's a service.
0: I'm mm-hmm. going to read something from Andy McCarthy at National Review. It's actually pretty good. In his opening round of questioning at the Senate Judiciary Committee's confirmation for Judge Katanji Brown Jackson, Chairman Dick Durbin endeavored to help the judge refute criticisms of her representation of terrorists at Guantanamo Bay. You just heard it. They suggested that this was of a piece with the long-standing American tradition engraved in our Constitution, that everyone is entitled to a criminal defense lawyer. The problem with this revisionist history is that the detainees at Gitmo were not criminal defendants. They were unlawful enemy combatants captured during their war of aggression against the United States. They were not entitled to counsel. Never in the history of the United States had it been the case that foreign fighters detained in wartime were entitled to legal representation. They are not detained in the legal system, but under the laws of war. Jackson noted that the law eventually changed, allowing combatants to challenge their detention. What she and Durbin neglected to mention is that such challenges were not criminal proceedings. They were habeas corpus petitions. In other words, people claiming they shouldn't be locked up and giving the reasons for it. It's a salient difference. The Constitution does not entitle habeas corpus petitioners to counsel. Only those charged with crimes are guaranteed legal representation. It is thus a commonplace in the American criminal justice system that imprisoned convicts who file habeas corpus petitions challenging their detention must represent themselves, must represent themselves. They're not entitled to counsel, and if they can't afford lawyers, there's no expectation that the taxpayers will subsidize legal representation. In fact, if cases where prisoners will file them on toilet paper, on paper towels, on shirts, and that sort of thing. The lawyers who volunteered their services to represent America's enemies have for years analogized their work as no different from John Adams's defense of British soldiers after the Boston Massacre in 1770. Durbin invoked this episode today, but the British soldiers were criminal defendants accused of murder in a court of law. It would be five years before hostilities erupted at Lexington and Concord. The British troops in question were not enemy combatants, and they were not detained as prisoners of war. Issues in the war on terror. The, is, the left is rewriting history, as you can tell, folks, which they're very good at. Senator Durbin contendedly observed this morning. His Republican colleague, Senator Lindsey Graham, an accomplished military lawyer, agreed with Durbin in yesterday's opening session, that everyone's entitled to a lawyer, including foreign terrorists captured in wartime. That doesn't make it so. The lawyers who worked for anti-American jihadists at Gitma were volunteers. Their so-called clients were not entitled to their services. Moreover, the lawyer left position on this issue would be easier to abide if it were consistently applied. He says progressive Democrats have taken the position that former President Trump and those who worked with him The challenge of the results of the 2020 election are not entitled to legal representation. They put an enormous pressure on lawyers and firms to drop these people as clients. There is now an ongoing project to have lawyers disciplined and disbarred. If they played any role in enabling Trump to even file legal challenges to the election. One needn't be persuaded by these legal challenges, he says. I think most of them were frivolous. Really? How about the constitutional ones? Yet, he writes, in order to acknowledge that Trump had the right to file them and to retain counsel for that purpose. Democrats can't have it both ways, he says. They can't volunteer their services to terrorist detainees and say they were performing an honorable role and should not be tainted by their clients' atrocious actions. Yet at the same time maintain that any lawyer who provided legal services to Donald Trump should be ostracized as a threat to our Constitution. All right, there's a lot there, but let me me swing back. These individuals had no right to counsel. So the question that should be asked tomorrow is, how did you become counsel for the terrorists? How did you become counsel for the terrorists? Was it just some kind of lottery? Did you volunteer? Did you object? We know she didn't object. And so they're trying to blow this off. She's basically saying, I'm an originalist. I try to follow the text and what's mean, meant by what, what was written at the time or how it was understood. I'll look at the history if, if I need to go elsewhere. I'm there upholding the legal system by representing terrorists. That's what we do in the Federal Defender's Office. That's how it works. What's the big deal? As for substantive due process, that is the court creating uh rights I don't know which rights we're talking about here, so I'm going to take a pass. I'm not really going to get into that. Uh, and that sort of thing. Now, Ted Cruz points out that in a speech Judge Jackson gave talking about critical race theory, for which Ted Cruz has attacked. The notoriously stupid Claire McCaskill, former senator from the Show Me State, and she shows us how stupid she is all the time. Danielle Holly Walker, professor of law and dean at Howard University School of Law, also offended, deeply offended by the dog whistle. Another moron running a law school. But let's listen to what Cruz said and what Jackson said in response. Cut 13, go
4: so critical race theory as you know has its origins in the critical legal studies movie movement which also came from harvard law school from a number of critical legal studies professors crits as they were known when we were in law school uh... who are explicitly Marxists, and they find their origins in marxism although critical legal studies frames society as a fundamental battle between socioeconomic classes critical race theory frames all of society as a fundamental and intractable battle uh, between, between the races. It views every conflict as, as a racial conflict. Um, do you think that's an accurate way of viewing society and the world we live in?
2: Senator, I don't think so, um, but I've never studied critical race theory and I've never used it. It doesn't come up in the work that I do as a judge.
4: So, so with respect, I, I find that a curious statement uh, because um, you gave a speech in April of 2015 uh, at the University of Chicago in which you described the job you do as a judge. And you said sentencing is just plain interesting because it melds together myriad types of law, criminal law and, of course, constitutional law, critical race theory. So you described in a speech to a law school what you were doing as critical race theory. Uh, And so I guess I would ask, what what did you mean by that when you gave that speech?
2: With respect, Senator, um, the quote that you are mentioning there um, was about sentencing policy. It was not about sentencing. Um, I was talking about the policy uh, determinations of bodies like the Sentencing Commission when they look at a laundry list of various academic subjects, as they consider what the policy should be.
0: All right, let, 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 so that, that is a difference without a distinction. If somebody had asked me, as an example, or Ted Cruz or anybody, well, not anybody, but many of us, what you look at when you're looking at sentencing, the phrase critical race theory wouldn't even enter into it. And yet it did with her. And yet it absolutely did. Now, earlier when he asked her, she played rope at dope I've never studied critical race theory, she says. Then why would you bring it up in the context of a a judge's job when it's sentencing policy or sentencing? I don't know what the difference is. But sentencing policy, fine, we'll play the game. When you're teaching a class, go ahead.
4: Chair of the Sentencing Commission, so let me ask again, what did you mean by, because that was an official responsibility of yours, what, what I you meant mean by what you were doing was critical. Racism? What I
2: meant was that there are a number of that. That uh, slide does not show the entire laundry list of different uh, academic disciplines that I said um, relate to sentencing policy. But none of that relates to what I do as a judge.
0: I, this is nonsensical. Absolutely nonsensical. Um, he didn't even ask what you do as a judge he asked her about what she said and what did she mean that's not what I do as a judge that's a matter of policy and she said "Uh, I've never studied critical race theory clearly if you're going to recommend it I don't care if there's a thousand items on the list it wouldn't be on my list it's enough to have to do a sentencing policy and she didn't want to touch that with a ten foot pole So for that, Ted Cruz is attacked by this this moron, Claire McCaskill. That people were taken aback by this. Why? He didn't accuse her of all kinds of immorality and so forth and so on. Stuff they pulled on Kavanaugh and Clarence Thomas. And even Bob Bork, when they went after his video selections back then. He didn't do any of that. Why is this offensive to anybody? Simple question. Danielle Holly Walker, professor of law and dean at Howard University, was really put off by this. Cut 15, go.
2: I mean, we've really reached the height of political theater at this point, and everyone is trying to play to their audience and get in the Nobody's most clanks. playing
0: to an audience genius. She said it. Those are her words. She doesn't deny it, but she denies studying what she said. And she denies knowing what she said, and she denies applying what she said. It's a perfectly legitimate question. So why do you pretend that it's not? And why does MSLSD bring on people like this, who are going to spin and confuse the American people? And Claire McCaskill, what good is she? She's a loser. She's not particularly bright. In fact, she's particularly stupid. I mean, MSNBC's been promoting critical race theory. They have some of the biggest racists known to this country on their network. Joy Reid, what's the, I don't remember all the names, I don't care. Tiffany Cross, that goofball from The Nation. Well, America, you've seen how the mainstream media, yeah, Al Sharpton, frantically relaxed to opinions it doesn't agree with. Somebody armed with facts and date even slightly dissents from their establishment partisan consensus. They band together, attack, marginalize, try to silence. They cover up. Right, Hunter? I'll be right back. Mark Levin. I've been telling you folks for a long time, if you're still with Verizon 18T or T-Mobile, you're simply paying too much for wireless because Pure Talk gives you the same exact great 5G coverage for a fraction of the cost. But don't take my word for it. Listen to what Christopher from Grand Forks, North Dakota has to say. said, I used to be a Verizon customer before switching to Pure Talk, and I absolutely love it. Pure Talk has the same great service that Verizon does and a little over half of the cost, and I got to keep my phone. Thank you for being such a great company. Folks, you should join me and make the switch. Right now, get unlimited talk, text, and six gigs of data for just $30 a month. So do this. Go to puretalk.com. Find the plan that's right for you. Then this month, enter promo code Levin podcast. That's L-E-V-I-N podcast. And you'll save an additional 50% off your first month. That's puretalk.com. Promo code Levin podcast. One last soundbite on this hearing. I thought that Lindsey Graham was very powerful today, too, by the way. and He brings up the fact that Joe Biden filibustered not once but twice Janice Rogers Brown, an African-American woman who was up for the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. He filibustered her twice.
4: Cut 17, go. If family mattered, we would not have done to her what was done to her here in the United States Senate. Do you realize that she was filibustered for two years when she was appointed the D.C. Circuit?
2: I didn't know that.
4: Did you know that Joe Biden actively filibustered Janice Rogers Brown?
2: I did not know that.
4: Did you know that he told Face the Nation if Bush nominates her for the supreme court i can assure you that would be a very 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 difficult fight and she probably would be filibustered is that news to you too yes okay now that you know that how do you feel about it
2: senator i can't speak to something that i just learned two seconds ago in your okay, fair conversation with me
0: sure you can Joe Biden, despite what he's doing today, was a bigot. He was a segregationist. He was a racist early in his career, and he kept that strain throughout his life. In my humble opinion, despite what he's doing now. What he's doing now is is transparently for politics. That said, she could have condemned it. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. I want to thank you for watching Life, Liberty, and Levin this past Sunday. Once again, we win the night against CNN and MSNBC combined. You'll never read that anywhere. Do you remember when I first came on, my first interview was with the great Walter Williams, Rich. You remember that? In the long-form interview, and I let Walter speak to, at some length, and boy, do we miss him. And remember Media Matters, I think it was, wrote how boring it was? Remember that? Basically saying it won't last, it has to be the most boring show on TV. What we're learning is it's one of the most anticipated shows on the weekend, certainly on Sunday nights. And I want to thank you folks for this, Media Matters, what a joke. All right, I I, I only have an hour left. This show goes fast to me anyway. I want to talk about Disney Corporation. I read to you in yesterday's show, and we went through what the DeSantis legislature bill was really about. It's not the Don't Say Gay bill or anything of the sort. It leaves the teaching of sex to parents, but it certainly prevents teachers in schools from going rogue teaching about any kind of sex or teaching about transgenderism at a at a very young age. And parents have a right to know what their children are being taught. And if schools violate the state law, they have a right of action. First in front of a mediator and then secondly potentially a lawsuit. That pretty much is what it is. It's effectively a parents bill of rights. Well, the LGBTQI plus community, at least their organization or organizations, are extremely aggressive, and I would even argue dishonest in the way this is formulated. And the same with the Democrat Party. Now, Disney Land was created by Walt Disney. I believe Disneyland was opened something like 1963 or 64 for kids, for parents, to have a wonderful family experience. It's not to be about pushing the radical left's agenda, the LGBTQI agenda, and I'm sick and tired of, on the left, they wrap all of their agendas in civil rights and civil liberties. But it's not about civil rights and civil liberties. If you're a parent with a little kid who has to send them to public school because they can't afford to do anything else or don't have time to homeschool because they have to make a living. So this is a demand by special interest groups to impose their will on school systems that are paid for by you to impose their Values, their ideologies on little kids has nothing to do with civil rights. If somebody wants to do those things, they're free to do those things in this country. But you're not free to brainwash a five-year-old, an eight-year-old, put things in their heads Get them to think about stuff that the parents don't want them to think about. These children are the flesh and blood of somebody else. Not the teaching bureaucracy and not the school bureaucracy. Not the educational bureaucracy. Which has been taken over by the Marxist left. Now when my kids were young, we would take them to Disney World often. We had a wonderful time in Disney World. And they love Disney World. And they still love it, as do my grandkids. But I will now strongly discourage them from going because it is another institution that has been and is being destroyed before our eyes. Before our eyes. They call the fellow employees bigots. Conservatives at Disney issue open statement detailing hostile work environment. As LGBT employees, writes Daily Wire, at Disney get ready to stage a walkout on March 22nd, that's today, over Disney's attempt to remain neutral in Florida's parental rights and education bill, conservative staffers have issued an open letter of their own. Which they published. Over the last few weeks, they wrote, We have watched as our leadership has expressed their condemnation for laws and policies we support. We have watched as our colleagues, convinced that no one in the company could possibly disagree with them, grow increasingly aggressive in their demands. They insist that TWDC, the Walt Disney Company, take a strong stance on not only this issue, but other legislation and openly advocate for the punishment of employees who disagree with them so much. Speech. This is the totalitarian American Marxist movement at Disney World. Left-leaning cast members are free to promote their agenda and organize on company time using company resources. They call their fellow employees bigots and pressure the company to use corporate influence to further their left-wing legislative goals. Rather than demanding the company issue statements on proposed laws and use its influence to pressure legislatures, the conservative staffers behind the letter are instead asking the company to stay out of politics. Citing Hamilton and Mandalorian as unifying content, they argue that Disney is more valuable as a business and a cultural institution when audiences from across the political spectrum feel free to enjoy the entertainment it produces. One of the employees who works in the Imagineering department designing attractions in Disney theme parks, told the Daily Wire. He's had three close colleagues leave his division in just the last nine months because of the increasingly hostile work environment. He said no matter what department or what segment, we've been watching the diversity, equity, inclusion takeover of Disney accelerate to breakneck speeds. And God help you if you get caught standing in front of the train. Another, an engineer, described the open letter as a kind of last-ditch effort to appeal to senior leadership that may agree with us, but lack the courage to say anything because they feel all alone themselves. Let's see here. The letter goes on. An internal poll within the company went out a few months ago asking if we felt accepted in the company, says the letter. Many of us didn't complete it because the nature of the questions made us worry that the results of the poll could be used to target us for quietly holding a position that runs against the progressive orthodoxy that Disney seems to promote. The company has fostered an environment of fear that any employee who does not toe the line will be exposed and dismissed. Much has been made of our internal efforts to reimagine tomorrow, but as much as diversity and inclusion are promoted... The tomorrow being reimagined doesn't seem to have much room for religious or political conservatives within the company. Left-leaning cast members are free to promote their agenda and organize and so forth. Employees who want the company to make left-wing political statements are encouraged. While those who want the company to remain neutral can say only in a whisper out of fear of professional retaliation, the company we love seems to think we don't exist or don't belong here that the politicization of our corporate culture is damaging morale and causing many of us to fill our days with the company might be numbered. And he goes on. The last paragraph of their letter says, Disney shouldn't be a vehicle for one demographic's political activism. It's so much bigger and more important than that, more than ever. The world needs things that we can unite around. That's the most valuable role the Walt Disney Company could play in the world of this time. It's a role we played for nearly a century, and it would be a shame to throw all that away, In the face of left-wing political pressure, please don't let Disney become just another thing we divide over. But they're corporatists. That's the bottom line. They could be making chewing gum. Breitbart, Disney launching task force to make more LGBTQ plus content for children and families. So they're surrendering, they're buckling all together. Is Disney... A groveling Disney CEO, Bob Chapek, C-H-A-P-E-K, on Monday, told employees the company should have condemned Florida's parental rights and education bill that blocked the teaching of sexuality and transgender ideology to students in kindergarten through third grade, speaking 24 hours before mutinous staff planned to walk out during a day-long strike. So now the CEO of Disney has sided, sided with teaching your little ones, your babies, Sexuality and transgenderism. A virtual town hall for employees was used by management to stem internal strife at Disney as the company's chief executive continued to apologize and shift its public statements about the legislation, which critics falsely call the don't say gay bill. And I've explained what's in this bill. It's common sense. They're not for gays, against gays. For transgender, against transgender, they're saying leave our kids alone. But these are corporatists that run Disney. They have no real attachment to that company. They didn't found anything, they didn't invent anything, they didn't draw anything. It's a disgrace what's happened to Disney. And the only way they're going to hear you is if you stop going to Disney and stop buying their things. I'm sorry. But it's true. It's true. It's the only way. It's expensive enough to stay there. It's expensive enough to go to the parks. It's expensive enough to eat at the restaurants and buy their food. It's expensive. And I'm sorry. I really am. Again, as a family who loved the place... But I'm not comfortable going there anymore knowing it's a radical left operation. The corporatists run the damn thing and that they're lying about the legislation that the Republicans of DeSantis put in place to protect little kids, to protect little kids, protect them. This is a perversion that's going on. I'm very open minded, folks. You don't hear me proselytizing, but this is a perversion to do this to little kids. And then, and then we have this. Citigroup is the first major U.S. bank to announce a policy change in response to the legislation in Texas which bans abortions after six weeks of pregnancy. What are they going to do? New York Times, Citigroup will pay travel costs for employee abortions in response to the Texas law. So if you work for Citigroup and you're in Texas and you want an abortion... Citigroup will pay for it. All you people who go and work and put your money at Citigroup, you should know this. But it's more. There's more. As we look around the world. The Securities and Exchange Commission unveils sweeping climate change requirements for public companies. They're going to force companies to publicly disclose a wide range of climate-related information would require publicly traded companies to disclose how severe weather events and other natural conditions may impact their businesses. And of course, as Pat Toomey says correctly, Senator Pennsylvania, today's SEC action hijacks the democratic process and disrespects the limited scope of authority that Congress gave to the SEC. So the SEC, a financial institution, is now promoting climate change and compelling every company in America, every publicly traded company in America to fall in line. Disney has collapsed under a minimal amount of pressure from employees pushing a lie about legislation passed and signed in Florida to push an agenda that is harmful to little kids. And the American Bar Association, William Jacobson at the great uh, website, but he's writing in Real Clear Politics, Legal Insurrection. Legal education is about to undergo a revolutionary change with the American Bar Association poised to mandate rate-focused study, race-focused study, as a prerequisite to graduating from law school. Another instance of woke ideology being forced on the nation And may necessitate that states revisit the ABA's government-granted near-monopoly accrediting power. So you must learn critical race theory in order to graduate successfully from law school. I hope that this book, American Marxism, which I haven't mentioned in months, is being read and shared. I was literally asked to take the poster board off the back of my studio in my own home. Literally asked. You promoted it enough. I'm not even talking about it. It's just behind me. We don't like it. Take it down. This is the antidote to all that's going on. This book, which explains it all and provides you with options. Disney you should buy shares in Disney, shop at the next shareholder's meeting, and make noise, just like the left does. Just like the left. If you're a lawyer and you're a member of the American Bar Association, you should complain. You should go to your state representatives, particularly in Republican legislatures, and get them decertified as the voice, the ABA and their state affiliate, to oversee lawyers in this country. There's no reason that they should. None. None. I'll be right back. Much love Have you gotten your letter from the IRS yet? These last few years have not been easy on the American family. And with tax season finally arriving, there'll be millions of hardworking people and businesses that could struggle even more due to the IRS working against them. Well, America First Tax Group can help put an end to your worries. Just one phone call to 800-806-1299. Hello! 800-806-1299. And you'll be in touch with the America First Tax Group, a full-service tax company that'll fight the IRS and help put you on the path to financial freedom. Their experts can help you or your business with any tax-related problems you may have, from dealing with your back taxes to granting you access to tax relief and much more. Don't wait. Get in touch with America First Tax Group today by calling 800-806-1299. That's 800-806-1299 or americafirsttaxgroup.com slash Levin. Again, 800-806-1299 or America First tax Group dot com slash levin. Well, I want to take a moment to um, say happy birthday to our beautiful daughter, Lauren Levin Bailey. Uh, she is a great blessing to the family. She is uh, the oldest. Of the kids. She is a fantastic daughter, a fantastic mother, and a joy to be around. And she's a wonderful husband and kids. And I just, uh, we are just so blessed to have her in our lives. And I just want her to know that. So happy birthday to you, sweetheart. We all love you very, very much. She is a full-time mother. She spends full-time raising those kids. She wants them to be the best kids they possibly can be. And by the way, she's solid as a rock. Oh, yes, she is. In fact, she supported Donald Trump, I think, before I did. I think that's right. And uh, anyway, happy birthday, Lauren. Lauren. We love you, and I'll be right back. Are you an individual or business owner facing the heavy burden of back taxes, levies, or wage garnishments? Life's challenges, especially those brought on by the economic impact of COVID-19 and inflation, can take a toll on your financial well-being. Now, the IRS has eliminated over a billion dollars in tax penalties and interest for back taxes. America First Tax Group is here to help you claim your share of these billions in tax relief before the IRS can claim the government share and clamp down. Call them now, 800-806-1299. The IRS has people working to collect your money, but it's time to turn the tables, folks. America First Tax Group is a full-service tax boutique that puts clients first. They understand the stress of dealing with tax problems, and they will be your guide through the process. Don't wait. Time is of the essence. Call America First Tax Group. Here's the number. 800-806-1299. 800-806-1299. Or visit AmericaFirstTaxGroup.com slash Levin.
3: Mark Levin, an unapologetic patriot and unapologetic constitutionalist. You can reach him at 877 381 3811.
0: We have great kids. Great kids. All of them are doing fantastically. We're very, very lucky. Thank the good Lord. Of course, they weren't brought up with critical race theory and transgenderism and all the rest of that. May I say, crap. They didn't get special advantages because of their race. They worked hard, and they still do. I want to move to this January 6th committee. You talk about Putin, you talk about Stalin, we do. Well, this is a vestige of that. Here's the first piece from the Federalists. Democrats admit January 6th committee is all about the midterms. House Democrats prosecuting political dissidents. In the form of the Select Committee on January 6th, admitted this week, the show trial investigation is all about the November midterms. On Friday, that's last week, the Washington Compost chronicled the committee's next steps in a feature headline, January 6th Committee Faces a Thorny Challenge Persuading the Public to Care as Americans Lose Enthusiasm for Severe Retribution Against Those Involved with a Constitutionally Protected Rally 14 Months Ago Who Are the True Target of the committee's work as opposed to perpetrators of the Capitol riot, writes Tristan Justice, and he's right. The perpetrators are one thing. Trespassing and parading is quite another. One lawmaker the Post wrote added that even some of their Democratic constituents have lost interest in the committee's work because of more pressing issues like inflation and the coronavirus pandemic, and maybe like war. Americans are now coping with gas prices eclipsing their record peak and compounded by an inflation rate running at a four decade high. The January 6th probe, however, is dominating lawmakers' priorities, including Wyoming Representative Libs Cheney, who's one of the two Republicans appointed by House Speaker Nancy Pelosi to serve on the panel. We need to get her primary opponent on this program quickly, Mr. Producer. And same with the gentleman from North Carolina. Didn't I give you his number, too? We we need to get him, too. Uh, The conservative running in the Republican primary for the Senate there. He's a member of the House. The January 6th probe is dominating lawmakers' priorities, including Cheney. Cheney, the Post reported, is spending the majority of her time on the matter, people familiar with her work say, instead of reclaiming her lost role on the Natural Resources Committee. In other words, Cheney has devoted her tenure in Congress under the Biden administration ...to executing a vendetta against former President Trump and his supporters... ...instead of countering the White House policy running against the interests of her constituents. Nearly half of Wyoming land is under federal oversight... ...with agriculture and resource extraction serving as two of the state's primary industries. Its sole member of the lower chamber in the House... ...no longer serves on the premier committee to navigate the myriad public lands issues... ...important to Wyoming voters... While President Joe Biden aims to choke off new oil and gas leases on federal lands. Democrats devoting too much time to a topic the public cares comparatively little about is becoming a routine practice despite the divisive institutional consequences. And he goes on. But he's quite right. It's a very well-written piece. says here, with only 8 out of the 96 subpoenas issued by the committee targeting individuals associated with the turmoil at the Capitol, only 8 out of 96 subpoenas, according to a Federalist analysis. The committee's work was never aimed at probing legitimate security failures while Congress was in session. Investigating the Capitol security failures would also mean investigating Speaker Pelosi's own culpability. Now, we've talked about this at some great length. The 96 subpoenas do not include the more than 100 seeking the telephone records of individuals whose identities remain under seal, from uh, both from the public and from those who, whose privacy the committee seeks to violate. Let me tell you this. If this committee has secretly obtained my phone records or my wife's phone records, I'm going to sue every Ask you know what on that committee personally and I'm going to demonstrate that what they've done is unconstitutional and the speech and debate clause does not give them the immunity that they think they have or that their lawyers think they have. This will be the lawsuit of the century. The lawsuit of the century. If I find out that Benny Thompson and Cheney have gone full Vladimir on me. I will use the law to bankrupt them. I will use the law to expose them. I will use the law to destroy whatever is left of their careers. I will conduct depositions myself. I will get access to their text messages and to their emails, to their phone records and every other damn thing they have. if I determine that they have pulled on me what they did to Sean Hannity. And I'm not kidding, and I won't settle. I've been a lawyer for over 40 years in some of the most incredibly important cases, and I'm not going to let these puke Congress people do anything like it. Do I know whether it's been done? Of course I don't. And I'm not saying it has. It's, it's being done if it's done in secret. But they will pay a legal and financial price, I assure you of this. In an effort to dramatize Democrats' performative outrage, the committee has reportedly discussed hiring a journalist to write its reports and create videos to blast across the Internet that are also featured in televised hearings, potentially in prime time. Two people with knowledge of the report say the committee wants it to include gripping testimony and quotes along with starring roles for key players in the events. Leading up to and on January 6th, the Post wrote, Representative Peter Aguilar, Democrat California, told the Washington Post in an interview, the committee is committed to ensuring the report isn't written in Congressional Research Service style. So this is a complete fraud. It's a complete political rogue operation paid for by you and me, the American taxpayer, and these people should not be involved in any of this. They've already reached their conclusions. They did a long time ago. And right scoop a few days ago. Adam Kingsiger vows to move heaven and earth to keep Trump from becoming president again. This guy's a head case. Don't be surprised if he and or Cheney and or Hogan and or some of the other reprobates run for the Republican nomination for president. Not to win. But to get all this attention they can and to try and destroy if Trump runs Trump or DeSantis or Cotton or whomever else is there. He says Trump cannot be president again, Kingsinger. So all their talk, ladies and gentlemen, all their talk about the legitimacy of elections and the processes and so forth, look who's breaking the rules. Look who the frauds are. These are Putinites too. These are Stalinites, too. They think the same way, and they act the same way. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin.
2: Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back
0: Amazing. I just finished earlier in the program, didn't I, Mr. Producer? reading from Cato, Kathy Young's outstanding piece, Smear and Loathing, a close look at accusations of Ukrainian anti Semitism. And who does she cite as one of the as one of the people on the forefront of this effort or participation? Sorab Amari. Did you know that? The publisher of Compact magazine, I understand. Let's see here. I'm going to tell you about before the program ends, and we'll take some calls tomorrow, I promise. APEC. Most of you know what APEC is. The American-Israel Public Affairs Committee. I'm not a big fan of APEC. I'm not a big fan of the Anti-Defamation League now that's been taken over by a radical leftist who used to work for Obama. Um... And it's unfortunate these organizations have an important role, but when they're taken over by these reprobates, that's right, I said it, um, they destroy their roles. So, as pointed out by World Israel News staff, pro Israeli lobby group, the American Israel Public Affairs Committee, APAC, announced its support for 27 Democrat lawmakers who voted for the Obama-era Iran nuclear deal in 2015. Despite intense efforts by the group to prevent that deal when it was originally proposed, the Jewish Telegraphic Agency, uh, JTA, reported AIPAC is embracing a major policy shift on the matter and now will formally endorse politicians who voted in favor of the deal after pulling out all the stops in 2015 to stop them from supporting it. Now, this is insanity, Because this sends a message to the Biden administration to allow Putin to continue to negotiate on the behalf of the Arab states, the Israelis, and even the United States. Biden asked the Putin war machine to do exactly this. That's what they're doing. And if you watched my my Fox show on Sunday, you heard from nobody less than the former Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu on this subject. Unfortunately... um, there are a number of self-haters. See the column within various groups, and this, this is part of the problem. These are cowards. Cowards. In my opinion, that's who they are. So, um, it's unfortunate that they certainly don't, they certainly don't represent me. I can say that. ZOA. Under the great Moore Klein. That group represents me, among others, as an American. Ladies and gentlemen, we salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. Hang in there, America. I'll see you tomorrow. And God bless you.